0: In this episode, we speak with Ross Hyatt, head of HIG Growth, the dedicated growth capital affiliate of HIG Capital, a global alternative investment firm with nearly $60 billion in assets under management. The firm is a multi-industry investor with a primary focus in growing technology-oriented businesses across sectors including SaaS, cloud and data, software, fintech, and technology-enabled services, Ross was named one of GrowthCap's top software investors of 2023. He oversees all day-to-day activities of HIG growth. Prior to joining HIG, Ross was a technology investor at TPG. He also lived and worked in Asia for a combined 10 years in Hong Kong and Tokyo with both Goldman and TPG. I'm your host, RJ Lumba. We hope you enjoy the show. If you like the episode, click to subscribe RJ Lumba is the Managing Partner of GrowthCap and the Executive Chairman of Market Insight Media. He is the host of Growth Investor, a podcast featuring today's best investors, executives, and founders. In the minutes ahead, we'll uncover insights and strategies for accelerating growth and succeeding in business. Ross, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us today. It's a delight to be with you.
1: Yeah, RJ, thanks for having me on the show. I'm a big fan.
0: I thought we could start off with a little bit about HIG as an organization and its history, and then we'll go into more specifically HIG growth.
1: Yeah, happy to. So HIG as a platform is in its 30th year. Uh, we have nearly 60 billion of AUM. Um, we invest across several different private equity funds, you know, the origin of which has been middle market and lower middle market private equity. We have a little over 500 investment professionals. Um, we've made nearly 350 control investments and have a, an active portfolio of about 160 or 170 companies right now. Fantastic.
0: And so you head up HIG Growth. You have a long history in tech investing. Tell us a little bit about your background and then how you came to HIG.
1: Yeah, so I've got, you know, like many people uh, just kind of twists and turns and winds along the way, but I started out uh, in investment banking out of college, you know, really like 20, a little over 20 years ago um, when, you know, folks coming out of college barely knew what investment banking was. I went to graduate school in New York. You know, had the fortune of spending some time in Asia over uh, over that period. So while I was at Goldman, I moved to Tokyo and to Hong Kong. I joined TPG while I was in Asia and did uh, technology investing both in Asia and then in the US. And I joined HIG Growth a little over two years ago now to head the fund. So it's been a lot of different cycles throughout that time period and a lot of fun.
0: You know, there's so many different growth firms out there, whether it's growth equity or or growth buyout or some combination of the two. And it's sometimes confusing for founders and CEOs to know which firm is most relevant to them or, or which one would be a good fit. How would you describe HIG growth to founders and CEOs?
1: So we're the dedicated growth arm of HIG Capital. We're a multi-sector investor, but we focus mostly on technology where we have experience, pattern recognition, and we feel we have an advantage. Um, within technology, we invest across the landscape, but a majority of that capital goes in, into software. We invest in both buyouts and minority investments in high growth businesses, but we partner with management and bring a value-add private equity lens. And where we do minority investments, we're not a venture firm. It's not about blindly handing over capital to burn. We support growth, we support sustainable growth. We invest in companies that are typically kind of 10 to 40 million of ARR, if it's a software business. And if we could pick a profile of like an ideal investment, it'd be a founder owned bootstrap business with little or no outside capital. High growth, you know, break even or close to it, and a rule of 40 business, but you know, really a team that's looking to have a partnership relationship. And yeah, you know, we add value where we can.
0: And you know, since AI is kind of the topic everyone likes to discuss and think about, how do you view AI in the context of the software world and how it's gonna impact the way the software industry evolves and how you look at opportunities in the space?
1: It's a great question. I think there's a lot of unknowns right now. We don't invest, at least in the venture side of what AI is and what it can be. But I think there are going to be a couple of different impacts to the business. I think a, a lot of it will be either on product offering, enhancing product offerings, and some of the stuff you've seen. I mean, AI has become a buzzword in the last 12 months, but you know, customer service uh, has been revolutionized for the last five to 10 years with AI chatbots. And that's gotten better and better and so I think some of these things will just continue to improve the product offering that software companies can deliver their customers. The second's really going to be in cost reduction. And that'll either be in replacing human talent with technology or even on the, the coding side, which is can you quickly, more quickly develop software products using technology instead of individuals and people? I think there's going to be, you know, an unknown but significant impact. But I also feel like this is the beginning of an arc and I feel like the buzzwords and the talk might be a little front-end loaded to where the impacts are over time and you look at just what has happened in productivity gains in the last 25 years in the U.S. and where the internet impacted things and we've had a lot of software created over the last 25 years and the productivity gains are slow so I I feel like we're we're in the early innings of this and uh, yeah I'm excited to see where it goes but I, I feel like where we invest it really will be more in businesses that already have a product market fit an established, you know, at least a budding or established go to market. And so it won't be in true development of technology.
0: Mm -hmm. And, you know, one of the areas that many firms are able to differentiate in is their value kind of creation capabilities and kind of where they have particular expertise. How would you kind of describe HIG's growth approach to working with companies and partnering with them as they continue to scale?
1: Yeah, look, it's a great question. I listened to your show and a lot of folks have got different takes on this. A lot of them sound similar. Um, I think it is many times about connecting with the uniqueness of your platform with a company that has those unique needs. And value creation is a big part of how we differentiate, but that can take the form of helping a company develop a go-to-market motion, enhancing or broadening customer acquisition channels, improving technology stacks or reporting, you know, or even things like MA. I mean, HIG as a firm has executed, you know, over 3,200 transactions in terms of bolt on MA, refinancings, capital raises. And so there's a broad swath, I think, that we bring, you know, in addition to the operating bench and sector expertise that we have. And HIG growth, I mean, a lot of large cap private equity has operating teams, large operating teams. But for growth and the size that we invest, it is much more rare to have a large private equity platform. So I think you know these are kind of full packages that you come and you think about, here's a company, it has the right ingredients. You know, We have the pattern recognition, the sector expertise, and we know what needs to be done. And when it comes to like, as you think about risk and underwrite, when it comes to execution risk, that's something we're very comfortable taking because we know that we can not necessarily a one size fits all playbook, but we can begin to make changes. If they don't work, we'll make changes again. And so we'll kind of keep working until we get it right. But I think that's a big part of you know when we decide to lean in, particularly when things are competitive and we need to pay a higher price, we do have to feel that we bring something differentiated to the table or else we're just lowering our returns to our LPs you know, if we're not delivering a better outcome.
0: Now, you, you've been in this space, uh, tech space as well as growth space for some time. And I'm curious to hear about how you think private investing will evolve over time. Do you think there's going to be increased emphasis on this growth space versus you know, say venture or certain, you know, traditional flavors of private equity, you know, maybe how does your organization see it? Do you think, you know, HIG growth is going to become a much bigger part of the overall HIG organization?
1: Yeah, I think if you kind of just backtrack to growth investing as a category, I mean, you had venture investing since the 60s and 70s and and growing, you know, in the 90s, same thing with private equity, um, growth really, began to develop as a category in the late 2000s. And that's as companies started saying private longer, You know, the Amazons and Microsofts of the world went public. And so all the value was captured in the public market. And private companies began to realize that when you manage your business to what public investors want, you make a very different set of decisions. And so they started saying private longer, and that meant they needed capital to continue to grow. And so this industry is really 15 years old, and I'd say like 10 years old in where it's scaled. The last couple of years that we've gone through have been very unique, where you've seen you know, 2019, 2020, 2021, a significant amount of capital enter the industry. And like any kind of supply demand, when you have this much capital coming in, there are companies that will take it and spend it. And so you've seen a lot of capital come in at very high prices where uh, different firms are competing and you have this you know, view that trees grow to the sky and in every industry in every bubble, there's always this view that like this, this path will always continue. A lot of money goes into it. And then what typically happens is like the public market retreats and then the rest of like the dominoes kind of cascade down. And so we've seen. You know, more capital raised and spent. And I don't have the stats, but in 2020 and 2021, and then probably in the early parts of 2022. And I don't see that coming back, at least any time in the near term. And, you know, as we sat here in the fall of 21, I kind of told my team, I was like, this mania will happen again. It probably won't happen in your career because this is kind of, you see companies trading at 40 and 50 times revenue, and you don't just see one or two businesses like an open AI that you think can be special, you see entire categories trading at that level, and that's just not normal and that has to change. And so I do feel like there's been a big retrenchment. There are a lot of firms that were investing significantly, large firms that are no longer in market right now. And maybe that's temporary, probably temporary, but certainly for the intermediate term. So it's become a less competitive space, but it's certainly been a journey. And I feel like as a category in getting back to HIG growth, you know, when you're investing in businesses that are growing and have got great sector tailwinds, you're naturally gonna become a bigger part of an industry. And I think we've seen this in terms of like the software industry, just how big it's become. And it went from kind of an install-based business to a subscription-based business. And now software is taking over so many different functions that used to be done with pencil and paper, and there's still more opportunities today. So I, I have to believe that HIG growth will become a bigger part of the overall pie, just because of the the types of business that we invest in and focus on are just, you know, growing and becoming a bigger part of the, of the overall GDP.
0: You know, it's sometimes hard to get one's arms around the software industry. And we've heard different types of estimates around how many companies there currently are, how many are always kind of being added to the sector. And then we see on the other side, the supply of capital, how more and more firms are focused on software. How do you see that balance? Do you think there's still ample opportunity out there in terms of the sheer number of software companies?
1: Yeah, I, actually I do. And there are still a lot. We invested in a company this summer called WorkSuite, which is an HR contract management software business. And it's replacing mostly like Excel spreadsheets and pens and paper. So if you're a company and you manage contract workers in order to like have their review history, have their payment history, people are doing it on Excel spreadsheets. And this is a software that solves that solution. So I think there are a lot of new and growing companies. When you're coming about capital flowing into the industry, I mean, what you've seen the last three to four years, it's firms that focus on software or have a big software presence. They have raised significant amounts of capital, and so there is ample capital now, you know, to to focus on five and ten billion dollar take privates. And so the dollars really skew the opportunities. There's still venture capital investing at the very early stage, but within growth, you know, there are there are still plenty of opportunities. You know, for us finding them, um, finding them in ways that are where we have got either early pattern recognition relationship with management or some reason why we can through an outbound sourcing you know thematic focus identify these companies and build a relationship and invest early you know that's kind of how do we compete within this space because it's competitive it's probably less competitive than it was a couple years ago but i do think the absolute capital going into the space is really reflective of the growth opportunities but i also feel like the industry's kind of barbelled where venture capital firms have stayed in the venture space and private equity has scaled to do you know, much larger transactions and so those dollars skew i mean if you look at this past year over 80 percent of capitals intake privates in the software space and that's going to be skewed by 10 billion dollar plus transactions versus 50 million dollar minority investments or 100 million dollar control investments and so I, I still think that when you see the pain points that companies deal with on a daily basis I think it's going to be a a continued strong macro tailwind and and certainly that'll be certain subsectors will outperform others but yeah i'm still bullish on it
0: which areas are you most excited about i don't know if you could tell us a little bit about maybe the thematic approach and you know certain areas that you think have like a long runway ahead and, and where you want to kind of pay a lot of attention to
1: Yeah, like we kind of focus on two things. One, it's profile of business. And then we pick sectors in which we think have got strong macro tailwinds that are sticky and resilient. You know, we're still doubling down on system of record, vertical software businesses, mission critical workflow application software. And then, as I mentioned, things like WorkSuite, where you come across a business and you're just surprised that, you know, two thirds of employers in the U.S., over 50 full-time employees use contract workers, and there's no purpose-built software. There's Workday, which handles W2 employees, but not 1099. And so there are, there is software being developed to meet pain points you know, every day. And um, another emerging category that we're paying a lot of attention to is FinOps. And FinOps has been something where, as you have the you know, emergence of the cloud and the emergence of technology spend, now you need to figure out how much you're spending and how do you optimize it. And step number one of that's visibility. So it's visibility tools and dashboards to understand how you're spending and where you're spending. We made an investment a little less than a year ago in a company called ProsperOps that is an automated cloud cost optimization platform that you plug in, it actually lowers your cost. And so there's a visibility angle and now you're beginning to see automation of cost reduction. And those are super high value prop offerings to customers who spend significant amounts on cloud and other areas. And so I I think, you know, as I I look at categories like that, they're just emerging.
0: Shifting back towards the organization and, and your team in particular, can you tell us a little bit about the culture of your group and maybe the firm? Maybe it's more relevant to talk about your team in particular, but how you think about cultivating your culture and growing your team.
1: I think that's super important. I mean, and when you think about different firms, I mean, they're as unique as the DNA of different people and culture is is a big part of that. So to me, it's collaborative teamwork only. There are no areas where individuals gain, where the team is not gaining. and, And when the team wins, the individuals win. And so that's extremely important to me. I mean, there's, you know, there's different approaches of we should have team members competing and that's how you get the best set of folks and, and there's a dynamic of like you know people who are competitive want to compete but to me it's really about the team and it's about collaboration and so it's building you know when when we interview when we hire we're really looking for you know a handful of things but we're also looking for people that we think will work well with each other and so that to me is kind of like the core foundation there's the smart scrappy hungry element of it but i think feeling like you know two things one we're working collaboratively And then having a staging of seniority and team where everyone feels like there is a path for me to progress is very important because the industry tends to end up where successful firms are very stacked at the top and there's no upward mobility and feeling like there is an opportunity for people, no matter where they sit to see a path to a promotion or a partnership position or a leadership position and that it's there and it's it's open and it's available is important. And so I I feel like we'll always want to run the team such that we don't lose amazing people because they don't feel like there's a path. So I think it's really culture. And then it's really how do you like staff and structure the team at various levels.
0: And have you seen or been part of a culture that you thought to yourself, this is incredible and I want to try to replicate it. If it was in finance or private equity or with one of the companies you've looked at?
1: I had the benefit of working at both Goldman Sachs and TPG. Both are really great places. Um, both, I think, have got great collaboration cultures. And they're much bigger, particularly Goldman Sachs, just bigger and established. There's all that type of stuff that comes with like a big established organization and bureaucracy. But I'd say for the size of the firm, it does an amazing job of instilling to the folks that work there why they're there every day and how you work together and how you deliver the best outcome. And I think TPG is also great from that standpoint as well. And so I I just feel lucky to have grown up in organizations where in general, people got along, people found ways to work together. And it's certainly very important to what I want to create here.
0: Excellent. Well, we're coming up on time. We have two final questions. These veer towards the personal. One is, can you tell us about a person that has had a profound influence on you?
1: Yeah. And I've, I've heard you ask this before. Let me kind of give a twofold answer. One is professionally. And I've been fortunate enough, like I said, to work with just some great people and great cultures and people that have taken time and effort to develop and shape me as a person. And I am very thankful that so there's a lot of competition for this. But in terms of like professionally formative, I have two close friends who have each uh, founded private equity firms, one in the technology space, one in the real asset space. And being close to them has just been inspirational and transformative, really in like how I think about personal risk-taking, how I think about business building. And so in terms of like shifting my mindset outside of what I do every day and how to do that better, it's really been great to watch them build two organizations that are very successful and kind of live through that as a friend. And then second, you know, on the personal level, I hear a lot of folks that are on your show, you know, they talk about their parents and I feel like people who can cite their parents are truly fortunate people. I'd say that my mother was like one of the most impactful people in my lives. And, you know, unfortunately I lost her at an early age. But she was a model person, even keeled, had a strong sense of right and wrong, a true north, you know, even facing a terminal illness. And so she's always been um, an inspiration to me, particularly in the face of adversity and also really just inspired me to live an interesting life and do things differently. And probably what inspired me to move to Asia was really just, you know, thinking through the fact that our days are numbered and we it's upon each of us to live a fulfilling life and, you know, delete Instagram and turn off Netflix and pick up a book or spend time with kids or family or go see a concert or, or move somewhere different, but just do something different, interesting in life. So she's been a, a real inspiration.
0: I love your answer, you know, and the, the two sides of it. And to your friends, it's an area that I also kind of am very aligned with. If you have a peer set that you keep up with, they're very inspiring and they can heavily influence the way you approach your career curious do you regularly kind of get in touch is it you know once a year you take a trip together like how how do you kind of interact with these two friends
1: yeah i mean it's way beyond that it's like speaking weekly some extent it's really openly sharing like what our struggles are you know what we're facing and you know industries kind of come and go industries kind of go through cycles is it difficult in returns are we having trouble raising capital are things going really well what have we been doing and so really it's more just kind of an open sharing forum between friends on here's what we're facing and and how we relate. And it's you know, part of the reason we've been friends for 10 to 15 years with the, each of these two, but really just that kind of continual sharing is, is therapeutic on one hand, and it's enlightening, it's inspiring, it's educational on the other.
0: Fantastic. Last question, and, and we're going to, you know, veer towards the more fun, but I understand you're an avid skier. So would like to get your advice on uh, the best places to ski?
1: Look, yes, I'm an avid skier. I'm not amazing, but I, I do it a lot and I and I try. Best places, it's kind of like asking to pick amongst your kids, but I probably do most of my skiing. I like the French Alps. There, you know, there are several mountains in the French Alps, whether it's like Courchevel or Val Megève is probably more of a summer spot. The Port de Soleil is beautiful. The Swiss Alps are also great. So Zermatt, Verbier, Cromantana, and other mountains. And then I also you know, I lived in Asia for a long time, so I've skied dozens of times in Japan. And um, I also like skiing in Niseko. The powder is second to none. It's also a a different take on skiing. It's amazing. But if I had to kind of pick one spot, it'd probably be the French Alps.
0: Excellent. Well, Ross, and that's a good note to end on because we're approaching ski season and I'm sure people are planning their trips. Ross, thank you so much for taking the time. I know our audience will find this very insightful.
1: Thanks, RJ.